0: Alright, hatily doodly neighbors, and welcome back <laughs> to another episode of the Mana Podcast. All right. my name is Jacob Lewis, and with me is Pastor Samuel Jeske. Pastor, how are you
1: doing? <laughs> Quite well, Ned Flanders. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How is that a better introduction? To the Emperor's <laughs> new clothes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I can, okay. That's well, that's because it, it
0: was premeditative. I guess so. Like, yeah. like <laughs> last night, you know, I was just hanging out in my room and I was just like, you know, would be a really funny thing to do. Just introduce <laughs> this, the podcast. To introduce because... this podcast with Hadley Doodly. All right. I did that once at a. At a Bible camp that I was leading worship at to uh, begin the service, I began it by saying hadily doodily. And it was all uphill from there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Today we have a long and anticipated topic from the Augsburg Confession concerning civil government, or as Melanchthon puts it in his apology, political order.
1: So Article 16, Civil government. civil government... Our churches teach that lawful civil regulations are good works of God. They teach that it is right for Christians to hold political office, to serve as judges, to judge matters by imperial laws and other existing laws, to impose just punishments, to engage in just wars, to serve as soldiers, to make legal contracts, to hold property, to take oaths when required by the magistrates. For a man to marry a wife or a woman to be given in marriage. And they have references to Romans 13 and 1 Corinthians 7.2. Our churches condemn the Anabaptists who who forbid these political offices to Christians. They also condemn those who do not locate evangelical perfection in the fear of God and in faith, but place it in forsaking political offices. For the gospel teaches an eternal righteousness of the heart, Romans 10.10. 10. At the same time, it does not require the destruction of the civil state or the family. The gospel very much requires that they be preserved as God's ordinances and that love be practiced in such ordinances. Therefore, it is necessary for Christians to be obedient to their rules and rulers and laws, The only exception is when they are commanded to sin. Then they ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29
0: My first initial observation is that as insane as it might sound to us freedom-loving Americans, obeying obeying government regulations and serving in the government are both good and God-pleasing things. And, I mean, as... I don't know if we wanna get into it right now, I feel like we're we'd wanna save it for later, but as uh the 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 reformers point out in Romans thirteen, one of the reasons that is one of the reasons why obeying government regulations and serving in government are both good and godly things is because all governing authorities have been established by God mm-hmm. for our good, ultimately. Mhm. Although, my only question with that is, what about in terms of, like, the IRS? Like, <laughs> is that a good a good and godly thing?
1: <laughs> Jacob, you're trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I've, I've seen this slogan quite a bit, taxation yeah. oh, is yeah. theft. I get where people are coming from, but yeah. we also do have a savior who did not... He didn't, that was not the platform that he preached. Taxation mm. is theft. In fact, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. He also was not, he didn't shy away from paying the temple tax. You know, the, the miracle, they, they caught that fish and then it had the coin in there that was yeah. then used to pay the temple tax. Mm. Jesus did not say, now give it here and I'm going to put this in my pocket. I'm not in a position to tell, to, to effectively <laughs> tell the IRS how to do their job. What I can comment on is that there is biblical warrant, and principles outlined for us as citizens of the state, in a, as well as being citizens of heaven, to support our local government. Mm. I constantly see this that Jesus will be recast as kind of like a, either a, um, a progressive socialist or a hardcore anarchist or something. Yeah. <laughs> or like some, or like a totalitarian or something. Mm.
0: <sighs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the only kingdom Christ endorses is his own.
1: And that's it. <laughs> you know? And notice I mean in the in the apology of the Augsburg Confession it said, you know, it cites John John 18 where it's talking, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm. Where it's talking about, you know, Jesus kingdom is a, is a heart-based one. It is a spiritual kingdom. Right. Um and it it it's a, it, it is astounding how clear Jesus is on this stuff and yet so often we 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 want to co-opt King Jesus and make him be a king of of a kingdom of our own design it always astounds me how people will look at say the jews in at the time of jesus and they're like man they just they're constantly you know there was there was um they wanted to make jesus king by force mm. right there are several sections that actually will talk about that where or a couple instances where the people are so adamant that like this is the guy Um, They were right in pointing to Jesus that he is the Messiah. They were wrong in terms of their conception of who the Messiah was to be or who the Messiah is. So when Jesus started, when Jesus, like say in John 6, shifted gears from talking about physical bread, because he had just fed the 5,000 with the loaves of bread and and the fish, now he starts talking about a greater, grander, bigger, better kingdom, Mm. a spiritual kingdom. Um where he is a king who did not come to be a geopolitical savior but a spiritual savior from sin, death, and hell. A lot of them are like, yeah, this just, this isn't this isn't the this isn't the politician that I want to get behind, right. This is not the Messiah that I want because I don't think this is the Messiah that I need. I mean, not only did this it betrayed an ignorance of who Jesus is, but it also betrayed an ignorance of who they are too. Mm. Well, what are our greatest needs? Who cares if you have a full belly? <laughs> At the end of the day, what is your right standing with God and what does that rest mm. upon? Or, or I should say, what is your what is your standing with God? What does God have to say about you? And do I have a right standing with him? Um, you know, a full belly will not solve the problem of death. It'll stay your hunger for a day. yeah, But it's not going to satisfy you and give you life into eternity. So when people come to me and they say, you know, oh man, those people had it so wrong about who Jesus was. Or they say, you know, their idea of his kingship was just so completely, you know, bonkers and backwards. Well, let's let's be careful here and uh, realize that this same this same messianic misconception can take place today too. Right. And it does. Oh yeah. When it comes to taxation, I I understand why why people would go as far as to say such taxation or, or taxation is or all taxation is theft. I would be incredibly just. I would be incredibly careful to, to throw that slogan on my own shirt or to throw that slogan on Jesus, mm. um, because I we we do ha, we do follow a Savior who says not only that we should pray for our institutions of social government. You know, pray for your leaders. Uh, the apostle Paul encourages us to do as much too, but um, you know, but to to give to such institutions, to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God's what is God's, yet nevertheless um, obeying God rather than men. Right. This doesn't mean that we justify anarchy on the altar of somehow divine obedience. Uh, we are citizens of two kingdoms. We are citizens of heaven and we are citizens of earth, I guess you could say. We're citizens of the state. Yeah. And part of my civic duty, uh, vocational duty yeah. as a citizen is to pray for my government, um, to support my government as I can, um, in good conscience without compromising my faith or by um, giving giving the impression that I'm like in a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sense, bowing the knee to false gods or mm. compromising my conviction and adopting some type of nebulous, pluralistic worldy or something. Right. Um, but... Um, I can occupy political offices. I can serve as a soldier in the army. Um, I can serve as a police officer and do so. But nevertheless, even in these positions um, that do in by inherently by virtue of their position come with tremendous power, I nevertheless utilize said authority and power with, with uh, good, goodness and godliness, that I do so for the sake of being salt and light in a world of darkness. That people right. see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. I guess that there's there's a, my initial takes on mm. some of the stuff that you're getting at with that, that question <laughs> that, that could get me in trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah
0: I, I, I think one point that I got from that is because what I've heard a lot of people say is, you know, like, They'll, they'll say, you know, like, when I go to work, I check my religion at the door. When Bull I'm crap. when I'm voting, I check my religion at the door. To me, yeah. like, what that really sh- to me that actually shows who your God actually is. Yeah. If you can just set Christ aside, you know, and then vote, you know, it's like clearly Christ isn't your God. The state yeah. is, or whoever you're endorsing as your right political Messiah. Basically, that's a
1: that's a really good point. Um, and that's a really. This is a common sticking point. This, this is there's a. This is a challenge for Christians, but then in in two fronts. On the one hand, they, um. They might be misled or misguided into thinking that this is what is expected of me when mm-hmm. I approach the the, polling station or the the voting box, um, the ballot box. Or we're being told this by our secular leaders that you need to privatize your personal religion. And you need to set that aside yeah. and it, Which
0: is impossible. I mean Yeah, it, it, it is.
1: It, it is impossible. Yeah. I mean
0: you you can't just set your worldview aside. Right? I know. Like like it's, your worldview it, is how
1: it's completely nonsensical. Yeah. It's like um no one should no like I've heard this before, no one should legislate their no one should bring their worldview into the into the ballot box or no one should try <laughs> to legislate their worldview. I'm like, well hang on a second. What is what are you just saying right now?
0: Right. Sounds like you're trying to impose your worldview on like me. It sounds like you're trying to impose
1: your worldview on me. Well, it's different. No, it's not. No. You're citing absolutes. So am I. You're appealing to a meta narrative. So am I. Mm. You just don't call it religion. You call it something else. But it's still a greater, grander meta narrative. It right. is still. You're still appealing to absolutes, moral values, and duties. You're still appealing to some type of greater, grander objective foundation, and mm you're using such language that is in some respects just as religious as me um i just have a god to ground it in Mm, exactly (laughs) you have you yeah (laughs) Uh, but um yeah the idea of you can't everybody everyone's bringing their worldview to the to the ballot box Mm. and so this idea that i effectively need to adopt some type of Schizophrenic spirituality, where I like divorce, like I kind of partition myself down the center. This is—I'm just going to say this. This is exactly what um, um, a lot of uh, postmodern anti-religious proponents are pushing for. Is mm-hmm. effectively, I mean, it's it's not all that different than what was being asked of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were yeah. not being asked to forfeit their belief in the Lord. What they were being asked was to effectively set it aside and adopt a pluralistic sense that you you worship you adopt our gods too. Yeah. And I mean, which was which is very common with when you whether whether it be the Assyrian Empire or the Babylonian Babylonian Empire, um, one of their biggest tactics was conquest via assimilation. Mm. And if you saw this with the Assyrian Empire after you know what seven twenty two. They swept through, knocked out the northern kingdom of Israel. And what did they end up doing? Well, they displaced them everywhere. Mm-hmm. They leave some behind. This is where we see where the Samaritans come from, the nation of uh, the area region of Samaria. But what they did is they would basically throw everybody in a blender in some respect. Well, not literally. Um, <laughs> they didn't have blenders then. But what I'm getting at is, is like a cultural blender in that they would kind of, they would disperse everywhere. Um, across the empire all these different people so as to somewhat ideologically break them down and then assimilate them not just regionally and and economically but culturally and ideologically into the empire too so that because again if they're together this is going to be a problem They're gonna the the likelihood of them retaining a resentment and animosity towards their authority leaders, the superiors, Mm. that would likely remain. Um, There would be cultural components that maybe the now ruling party sees undesirable. Mm. Well, what we got to do is we got to spread them out. And then that'll wear them down independently or individually. Mm. Um, And then they'll just kind of assimilate into the greater, grander empire. And then what you end up doing is, at least their their strategy was, we're actually going to create citizens, not captives, out of them. And that was the long-term goal. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of independent, subjugated states. Right. Which is what we saw with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire did not come in and say, "All right, we're going to take a bunch of your people out." It's like, "Okay, you can stay where you are. You just got to give to Caesar what is Caesar's." Exactly. <laughs> Notice at the time of Jesus, you could sense and see a strong resentment towards Rome, and which every every uh, Passover celebration or or Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement, for example, Passover especially there was because this was one of the high celebrations. When there would be a lot of jews who would travel to jerusalem there was always this there was always a tenseness um the fortress antonia on the north side of the temple mount that was always that was always a flush garrison every time Mm -hmm. that there would be major festival events why because there was always fear of some type of major religiously predicated uprising against the roman state Um, in the case of the assyrians and babylonians their solution to that problem is conquest, displacement, and then assimilation. And I do see that as a tactic that a lot of people would employ today too. Mm -hmm. And one, and I, you know, if people get, people disagree with me on this, I'd love to hear their thoughts. Um, But I think one tactic is leave your religious life at home. Privatize and compartmentalize it. You can, you know, worship your God in your home. That's your castle, right? You do whatever you want there. Worship your God at that church, you know, for that one hour on one day of the week. Mm. But when you're in your business world, you leave that outside. (laughs) When you are going to the ballot box, don't bring Jesus, Allah, Buddha, you know, Ganesh. (laughs) Um, Don't bring your gods and your worldviews in with you. Leave that outside. Um, That is a tactic I am convinced of. Mm um i think it's a modern cultural tactic that right. is that, that that definitely shows a, an anti-religious bias yeah. but it but it also hasn't actually interrogated its own it hasn't actually looked at the presuppositions of that own argument like i said it is it's it's basically saying um we don't want you to impose your worldview on me like i, I don't yeah. i and which, which that is an impositional worldview right i i No one should impose their worldview on other people. Well, you're imposing—you are right now imposing a worldview on me. Um, I don't think that people should bring their, I, I, you know, I I don't think that people should proselytize at work. Well, are you not trying to proselytize me right now? Are you not trying to convince me to not convince other people of the gospel? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's what you when you take the time to walk people through that you realize that, or, or my my it's certainly the hope is that they realize that. Um that an anti-religious bias is showing mm. or this this attitude that my thinking is somehow superior or greater or grander than religious type thinking or that we've graduated or moved on from a need for god right which is total garbage yeah. because i we we invoke the sacred all the time within the sec- secular sphere mm. when it's convenient oh yeah when it's convenient and then when it's not convenient well then we we cast it aside yeah but um it's what Nowhere in the Bible to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God's what is God's. When I go to the voter when I go to the ballot box, um, when I as I'm my, me giving to Caesar in that sense is me exercising my Christian vocation as a citizen of the state. Um, I know that there's a good conversation about whether or not it's it you know should Christians vote. Mm-hmm. Is that something that Christians ought to do? I think that there is some strong biblical principles that would support that. That voting is a good thing to do in that um it goes part and parcel with stewardship mm. i mean taking care of the country in which we live coming up with policies to combat hunger and poverty and um unemployment um crises yeah. um um uh, crises of, that are like climate or culture like uh, climate cultural or um uh injustices or racism whatever it might be um we uh, I, I do think that there's a there's there's grounds for that
0: right and I, I do definitely think the article here um, I think the reformers would definitely endorse that set sen- sentiment because you'll notice that what, what I found most in, 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 in interesting in the article is they never mention a specific form of government right but rather they simply state that as you are saying, Christians should be good stewards. They should, you know, obey regulations and law- laws. They, they should be good citizens, right. you know, and live out their vocations, you know. And so, though no singular form of government is established by God, it is clear, and it's also implied here, that God has established hierarchicalism, which that that is there will always be a system of governance there will always be order and law you know and historically I mean that's been true I mean even going back to Adam and Eve you know like uh, you know Adam was the head of the household you know